Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Well, I love the music that the choir has been singing for us because it is, yes, it's songs of praise for what God has done, but it really lays out for us also the events that lead up to the day that we're celebrating today, Resurrection Sunday, giving the story of what Jesus was willing to go through in order to redeem you and I, and so um, glad for the opportunity to continue to talk further about this as we reflect on all that God has done uh, to reconcile us to himself. So please join with me as we pray together. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that there was nothing in us, nothing of us, nothing that we had done to warrant the mercy and the grace that you have extended to us. Lord, there is nothing that we have done to earn the salvation that you offer to us in Jesus Christ. In fact, Lord, the problem that we had is one that we caused and we couldn't fix for ourselves. And so because of that, we were cut off from you. We were destined to be apart from you for all of eternity. And yet, Lord, you loved us so much that in your grace and mercy, you reached out to us by sending your own son to take our full penalty on himself, to die in our place, that our sins would be atoned for. They would be covered. Our debt would be paid in full. And Jesus was raised to new life 2,000 years ago as a promise that we too will one day be raised. And so, Lord, we thank you for these gifts of grace and mercy that we get to celebrate. Lord, we thank you that as we reflect back on what took place 2,000 years ago, this is not just an opportunity to reflect on history, but to see how that history impacts our lives in the present as well as makes possible the promises that you have for us in the future. So Lord, may we come to the table today with open hearts, with open minds. Whether we've heard this a thousand times or this is the first time we're hearing it, may we hear it with ears that are open. May we see it with eyes that are open to appreciate all that you are willing to do out of your love for us and to take joy in all the promises that you have made to us, which you made possible in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we thank you for this time to be together and to reflect on these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Easter is a time for hope. It was in my life I came to faith in Jesus in a process, a short process that began on an Easter Sunday because it was there that I first heard the gospel, the good news proclaimed for the very first time. I don't know where you were when you heard it for the very first time. Maybe it was an Easter Sunday service. Maybe it was from your parents or your grandparents. Maybe it was in an Awana program or from a neighbor or a friend. I don't know where it was. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time today. But whatever, whatever it was and whoever it was that spoke it to you, there has, there, hopefully there came a point where you recognized the good news that it was and had an opportunity to respond to it. And if you have not yet, 
You will hear those words today, and I pray you will consider them. But even for those who have been walking with Christ now for a while, who have heard the good news and have responded to it, and have recognized that this season, with its intentional focus on the gospel, the good news, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, I think sometimes we as Christians, as we live our lives, maybe focus in on the wrong things as our ultimate hope. There's a lot of things that God promises through his word. There's a lot of things that ought to give us hope, that do give us hope, that should give us hope. But I think sometimes we, we put all of our hope into one thing, and it's not even the thing that Jesus points to, that the New Testament focuses on as the grandest hope for Christians. And I hope that today we'll see what it truly is together. But let me give you just some example of what I mean when I say that Sometimes we place our greatest hope in those things that really ought not to be our greatest hope, despite the fact that they may be good things. For instance, our great hope is not going to heaven when we die. Now, that is a good hope. In fact, that gives us hope, especially as we reach that point in life where that is getting nearer and nearer, or perhaps when we lose a loved one, and we know that we'll be reconciled to them again, that their life isn't over, that there's something beyond death. It certainly is a good hope, but it's not our ultimate end. It's not our ultimate hope that we're going to heaven when we die. That's not the end of the story. And it's not the grandest hope that God promises for us in the scriptures. Our great hope is not some future rapture of the church before a grand time of tribulation, perhaps the worst time on the earth. Sometimes I I look at Facebook posts or we see the, the media that's coming out, books and articles and things coming out in the Christian world, if you will, and our focus seems to be all on that event, this taking out of the church to heaven while the rest of the world is going through some difficult times. And... That is certainly not our great hope. Our great hope is also not in a get-out-of-hell-free card. I know that Christianity is often caricatured like this, that we put our hope in Jesus and we're okay because when we die, we're not going to that place. Hey, trust me, I am grateful for that reality, that we are not going there. But even that is not our great hope. It's not our greatest hope. It's not what God points to as the ultimate promise for which we should be looking forward to. And in fact, today, and what we celebrate at Easter is a highlight, a a focus on that which is our greatest hope as Christ followers. So let me tell you what it is. Our great hope is our future resurrection from the dead and the life that we will live forever after that. That wonderful grand reality after our point of death when we are raised to new life, never to die again. And I want to do three things with you this morning. And I'm going to do them as briefly and succinctly as I can. But I want to accomplish these three things this morning. First, I want to substantiate that claim that I just made, that our great hope is this future resurrection from the dead. Second, I want to demonstrate how that great hope was made possible only by Jesus' own death and resurrection. 
which we celebrate, of course, today. And third, I want to share with you some ways that our great hope in that future resurrection from the dead ought to inform how we live our lives today. And so let's start with that. Our great hope is a future resurrection from the dead. And I want to share with you three reasons why this is true. And the first one is this. First, it means that death is not the end of this embodied existence. I'll be honest with you. If this is the life we have always known, this is the life we were created to have, a soul and a body living together on the earth, then it's hard to imagine that some disembodied soul apart from the body in the grave is a better reality than the one we face right now. Right? But that's not what God says in his word. Our great hope is a future resurrection from the dead, and it means that death, which comes for all people, on this earth is not the end of this embodied existence that we were created to have. And we see this in passages such as 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. This is Paul writing to a church that has no idea what to make of the fact that some of their brothers and sisters in Christ have died before Jesus came back. What do we do? What, is, what are we to believe? What, what's going to happen with them at this point? And here's what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, Paul is writing to a people who are distraught. They're brand new Christians. Early on in the church's history, they are desperately waiting for Jesus to return. And their brothers and sisters in Christ, some of them have died, and they don't know what to make of that. What's going to happen? And so Paul is writing now to provide encouragement to them and hope, hope that they're to take and give to others to continue to encourage those in these matters. It's what verse 18 said, therefore encourage one another with these words. What is he spelling out here? He's talking about a future event, a beautiful promise about what will take place in the future. That Jesus himself, the Jesus who lived on this earth, who died, who rose from the dead and ascended to go to the Father, will one day come back in the exact way he came. And he will come, but he won't come empty-handed. He won't come by himself. In fact, he's coming with all the souls of those who have died in Christ. All of those for all of history who are God's people redeemed in Jesus will come back. Raise your hand if you have loved ones. Loved ones in Christ who have died and are no longer living among us today. Raise your hand. We all have those people. And what a wonderful promise that when Jesus comes back, they 
will be with him. But the story doesn't even end there because they're not going to be a bunch of disembodied souls floating around the earth with Jesus when he comes. But in fact, they will be raised to new life, meaning they will have a body and their body and their soul will be united and they will live upon the earth. And those who are alive in Christ when Jesus comes back will be caught up together with them and also will be transformed. In fact, Paul talks about this with the church in Corinth also. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That's a euphemism for death. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at that last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And so all people, both those who have died in Christ, who are coming back with Jesus, and those Christians who are alive on the earth when Jesus returns, will also receive this new embodied existence which will never fade, never spoil, never perish, never grow old, hopefully never get fat or bald, but will never die again, will never get sick. That's hard for us even to imagine, isn't it? Because we have never experienced anything like the promise that God has for us in this future resurrection. This is our grand hope. Death is not the end of this embodied existence. We will not be floating on clouds, some spirits for all of eternity. That is not the promise of God. Here's the second thing, that death will never plague us again. It's done. We have to walk through it. If Jesus doesn't come back before our life on this earth is over, we will experience death one time, and then the resurrection, and never, ever again. We see this again in Paul's words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 57. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this life, this embodied life that we have right now is the best that we can imagine. It's the best that we can conceive of, but the life that comes after the resurrection of the dead, our future hope is so much grander even than our current existence. Because not only will we be soul and body united forever, but we will never experience the perishing, the the fragility of our lives as we experience them now. The brokenness, the frailty, the bad backs, the sicknesses, the the threats, the the terrible uh, genes that my parents passed on to me, and I have to worry about cancer and heart disease and diabetes, and none of that. 
That's part of the old order of things that will not persist once the resurrection of the dead has taken place. We will have life in a way that we have never experienced life before, and it will be unending. This is the promise of God that we celebrate. And third, we're destined for even a greater existence than we have ever known. And I just alluded to some of it, but hear these words, because here's the, here's the truth of the matter. We learn, as human beings, we learn by analogy. And so we learn by comparing something to something else, right? Have you ever done this, try to explain something? Well, it's kind of like this. Well, the problem is there's not an analogy for everything, especially those things we've never experienced in our human, uh, our human lives, our human histories, right? There is no analogy, so nothing that we have experienced that is comparable to that which we will one day. But Revelation 21, 1 through 5, paints as close a picture as we can to grabbing hold of this truth. Here's what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Uh, gentlemen, that does not mean that there won't be a, uh, any kind of water deficient. I'm sure that's there, too. Um, <laughs> But there won't be any ocean to separate us. You know, all the people will be together. Verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, what a hope we have in Jesus. We are destined for a greater existence than anything we have ever known or anything we are even able to to fathom. Our great hope is a future resurrection from the dead and all that God has in store after that. Here's the second thing that our great hope was made possible by Jesus's death and resurrection. Why do we celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Why do we celebrate Easter? Because this hope we have in Christ is only made possible because of the things that we celebrate at this time of year. In fact, Paul makes this clear in 1 Thessalonians 4, that chat, the passage we read earlier, in verse 14, he says this, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That hope we have of a future resurrection, that hope that we have of eternity, better than we could even conceive of, there's no analogy to it, is only possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And from there, again, in that passage, uh, he goes on to describe the, the beautiful event of the resurrection of the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul ties the event of Jesus' resurrection, which we celebrate today, to our future resurrection of the dead. He does this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. He says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all who have fallen asleep. In other words, Jesus was the first. He is not the last. And in the same way that Jesus was raised, so will all of those who were raised one day.
And so we read in the Gospels, not only the empty tomb, but Jesus' appearances. And there's so much that we see in our hope in Christ. But wow, in the same way that he was raised, we too will one day be raised. It's only possible because of his death and resurrection. You know, we as humans tend to do just about everything we can to sabotage ourselves. I feel like I do this more than most people, but uh, isn't it funny? Most of the troubles that we have in life are really not caused by others. They're usually caused by us, stupid decisions we make. Well, the same is true of our relationship with God before what Jesus, before what Jesus did. We are people who choose our own way instead of God's way who are often apathetic toward God and the things of God. Uh, We're people who like to do things that our our will is telling us to do, even though we know that God thinks these things are morally wrong. They cross the line of what is morally right and morally wrong. And all of these things the Bible refers to as sin, and because of our sin, our rebellion, right, we have put a chasm between us and God. We have severed the relationship. It's not that God said, oh, forget you and walked away. It's that we have spat in his face and walked away from God. And not only were we born this way and have added to our guilt all the time, but there's just no way back. There's no way we could possibly do enough good to outweigh the bad. It's, we can't make the bad just go away. In fact, even when we try to do good, half the time we have bad motives or we go about wrong ways of doing it. We're just a mess. Humanity is a mess. But God loved us so much, right, that he sent his one and only son. So even though we had a problem that we caused and the just thing would be for us to just go ahead and take the consequence that we deserved, God loved us so much that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And how did God make that possible? By Jesus dying in our place. Much of the same way that if you read the Old Testament, you see the sacrificial system, the temple in Jerusalem, the people bringing animals, and the animals are slaughtered, and the blood is put on the altar as a sacrifice to God, and it is a covering for sin. Those were all Old Testament foreshadowings of what God had made possible in Jesus so that when he came, he would die as our sacrifice, our covering, our atonement, so that we would not bear the weight and the penalty of our own sin, but he would bear it for us. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so in Jesus dying on the cross, which we celebrated Good Friday just a few days ago, it wasn't good for him, but it was good for us because as he died, he took the penalty for our sin. And the promise that his death meant that for us was validated when he rose from the dead, proving that everything he had said was true. In fact, Romans 4.25 says he was handed over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification, our right standing before God. And so now we have eternal life. And here's the thing. Our hope in Christ, our hope ought to inform how we live. And so for starters, if you have not received God's generous gift of grace in Jesus, I encourage you to consider that today. 
that he did in fact send Jesus to die even for you, that your sins, that your rebellion, that your apathy would be paid for in full and you could be reconciled to God. Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is just as simple as that. Please see me after if you have any questions. But for those who have responded, for those who this is truly good news for, this great hope ought to inform how we live our lives now. Understanding our great hope of a future resurrection gives us a deeper understanding of eternal life. Even that John 3.16 passage, right? For God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, right, will have life. What does that mean, life? Again, an embodied existence. It's not some spiritual reality. It's grander than anything we could ever fathom. Also, understanding our great hope of future resurrection puts death in its place. It conquers the overwhelming fear of the end of this life. It provides us hope for what is beyond this present. It's not some subpar existence where we don't have a physical body. That's just this intermediate holding period until that great day of the resurrection comes. Understanding our great hope of future resurrection helps us to think soberly about our present temporary hardships and suffering. Friends, we've lived through some weird years this last couple of years. And I know there are many hardships that many of us face even today. In fact, you might have even come in here today with some personal issues you've been fighting. And it's hard to even get them out of your mind just to enjoy being with people and celebrating what the Lord has done because these things are heavy. These things are hard. As you're walking through life, trying to figure out what's going to happen next. Can I tell you, when we understand that death is not the end, but that there is going to be a perfect existence and our resurrection and for all of eternity beyond, these suffer- it doesn't minimize these sufferings that we go through now, but it puts them in their perspective. That we suffer only temporarily, but all of eternity will be so glorious we can't even fathom it. And finally, understanding our great hope of future resurrection ought to make the celebration of this particular holiday and all it represents pretty grand. We celebrate Easter because it reminds us that Jesus' death on the cross paid our sins in full and his resurrection from the dead is a promise that we too will one day be raised. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have extended to us mercy in that you have not dealt with us according to our sins, that we have not had to take the punishment that we deserved on ourselves. You have mercifully removed that from us and put it on Jesus. Further, Lord, we thank you that you have extended to us grace. Grace is giving to, that, giving to a person that which they did not deserve. Lord, we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve reconciliation. We don't deserve a forgiveness from our sins. We don't deserve a future resurrection. But in your grace, you have given us that which we don't deserve. And we thank you, Lord, that your love has motivated you to give us both mercy and grace, these wonderful promises, this great hope that ought to drive our lives on this earth, that ought to cause us to worship you and thank you for all that you have done and ought to propel us forward in sharing this good news with others, that they too might receive the good news that you have made available to all men and women. 
We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.